Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Es perfecto para para lo que quiera. Cuidado que peligro la tiene Bucayo saca tira el recorte. Como le gusta, nunca mejor dicho, el Arsenal y haciendo el primer gol del partido en este minuto 6 de la primera parte, Arsenal 1, vuelve Hanton 0. is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra as always with James from Gunner Blog. James, a very early goodly morning to you. Goodly early morning to you too, Andrew. Uh, nice to wake up. Four points clear at the top of the Premier League. It is. Maybe temporary, but it's still a very nice place to be. It is maybe the earliest we've ever recorded on a Sunday. Yes, it is. Mm. It is. But, you know... Why not? We're enthusiastic. Well, We're this ready. Is it. This is it. I've been up super early, did the blog, got the jingle ready for the start of the podcast. Very productive morning. And, you know, we can we can talk about what was, I think, an interesting game against Wolves yesterday. We can. Uh, I've been up for a while as well. Yeah. Rocky did a mad thing this morning where he had hiccups for about 45 minutes. Oh, um, no. <laughs> just like he was broken temporarily. Uh, but, you know... We turned him off and on again, and he's fine. That's what you do. Just turn the babies off and on again. It, it works every time, mostly. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but it's a, it's a frosty morning. Yeah. But a warm feeling, Andrew, in my Arsenal heart. That is good. It was a cold day yesterday as well, wasn't it? I was um, up in my radiator-free office. Mm. Still, still not working. I tried to bleed the radiator, but um, there was nothing to be bled, you see? Sure. You need like a radiator leech to extract the blood. Right. I didn't realize that. I thought it was, you know, a little bit more <laughs> plummy slash whatever. What do you call that? Radiators are, it's a plumber's job, isn't it, really? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it was cold up here. It was cold in the Emirates Stadium, I'm sure as well. It was. I mean, I, I don't know if that kept a few people away, but it was notable yesterday that there were quite a few empty seats in the stadium, um, which hasn't been the case for a while, really. That's unusual, isn't it, given the demand for tickets? Yes, and I think that was... I think I saw online some people feeling pretty aggrieved because they're really trying to get tickets um, 
and some people obviously just didn't turn up yesterday. I, mm. I don't know the numbers, but certainly looking around the upper tier, you could see a few gaps. There was a train strike right. in England as well. But I thought the club did quite well sort of letting people know about that. They sent out an SMS to ticket holders about the train strikes the day before. Um, I wonder if the weather was a contributing factor because it was close to freezing temperatures. Maybe if you, you know, you're a bit older, a bit under the weather, you might have stayed yeah. away. But yeah, a bit surprising given how well the team are going and how strong the demand has been. Well, um, yeah, I mean, people have their reasons, I guess. Um, just well, they missed a, a great first half. Well, that's what I was going to say. You know, the football might have warmed them up if they'd been able to get there. And it was a very, very bright start from Arsenal, something that Mikel Arteta has talked about quite recently and talked about how it impacts games, game state scoring early, what a difference it makes. And we saw that, of course, on, on Wednesday night against uh, Lons. Any surprises for you with regards to the lineup at all or a was this a bit what was, <laughs> was a funny noise that came out of my mouth wee. a wee bit a wee. i was a little bit surprised he didn't uh continue with kai havertz simply because mm. he'd only started the one game right against uh lons i think i'm right in saying mm -hmm. and he's on a bit of a roll nevertheless with two goals in two games and i just thought he might stick with him were you surprised that he brought Trossard back in? A little bit, but I can kind of understand it as well. I mean, I think, mm. you know, the issue that he's got with, with Trossard is that he's such an effective player and has been uh, important for us in the last few weeks. He sort of needs to keep him engaged, if that makes sense. You know what mm. I mean? Where his performances merit playing time, but if he picks Havertz... And he's going to pick Martinelli and Saga on the wings. You know, where does Trossard fit in? Does he get a few minutes um, up front or does he come in a bit late in the game? Whatever it is. I, I think it's one of those where he's trying to balance his involvement, you know, to make sure that he doesn't feel like he's missing out. He didn't get any minutes, of course, in the, in the Champions League game in midweek. Maybe because we just didn't need him when you're 5-0 up at halftime and maybe, you know, he's carrying a little knock or something like that, that you can rest him. But but it was a bit surprising to see him in there in midfield ahead of Havertz, but not hugely. No. I mean, he started in there against Brentford, so he obviously feels there's kind of a value in playing him against these mm. teams who are likely to set up in a low block Havertz was the solution ultimately that broke the game open against Brentford, which you know would be his argument for starting this one. But yeah. I suspect Arteta is looking at this festive period with a lot of fixtures thick and fast. We mm. go to Luton on Tuesday, um, and maybe he's got a role in mind for Havertz in that game as well. So I, I think you know it's just a bit of rotation. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, it was a very bright start from. From Arsenal, from Bakayo Saka, opening the scoring in the sixth minute. It's just lovely play from Saka, isn't it? Good combination with Jesus. Jesus is very strong, um, plays it to Tommy Asu. Maybe Wolves will think they could have defended that a little bit better. But, you know, when you've got Saka in a tight space running towards you, you've got to be, I suppose as a defender, you have got to be absolutely uh, spot on with where you put your feet. Otherwise, it's either a chance or a penalty. Yeah, I mean, he's so good in those areas. It was a, a blistering start to the game, really, and Saka especially, I thought, was excellent in that period. Um, 
I thought this is a really lovely goal. Personally, I was mm. a big fan of Gabriel Jesus's part in it. Yep. Uh, you know, again, showing that you don't have to be six foot four to be a hold up guy, you know, taking the ball back to goal. I think he's got one defender pinning him, another one closing him down. Mm. And it's just three touches that are perfect, essentially. Um, and by the time he gives it to Tommy Asu, who's in field of him, there are three defenders all around Jesus because he because he held that ball for that extra second. Saka's managed to get beyond them. Gets a little bit of luck, I suppose, you know, just before he finishes it off, but then a, a nice finish off his right foot. Yeah, it is a good finish. It is a good finish. Right foot and his his recent good form continues and the the impact that he's having this season, you know, it, we just seem to have the discussion or the, the 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 chat about what he is producing every week because he is now producing almost every game. Yeah, there was a good stat doing rounds yesterday. I think that he's scored or assisted in 10 Premier League games this season. Only Mo Salah um, in the Premier League can match that, apparently. Mm. So, yeah, he, he, he's been incredibly consistent and productive, you know, when it comes to making, I don't know, difference-making moments sure. in what the ab- final third. What about his new celebration, the... Uh- <laughs> Sort of cabaret heel clicks as he's sure. you know, more wise. He must have got like a box set or something. Yeah, maybe it's that. He's gearing up for all the repeats of the Morecambe and Wise Christmas <laughs> special. It's sort of like a, a cheeky chappy heel flick, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. So, I mean, it's another very endearing aspect of Bukayo Saka right now. He can do what he wants. Um, second goal, Saka was involved uh, with a cross that, that ended up just going a little bit too far. But the play... After that, the combination between Zinchenko and Jesus, that feels like, you know, two players who who really know each other very well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The weight of their passes in particular, so Zinchenko's first one in field and Jesus, oh, Jesus is, I'm watching it now, his little touch back mm. is so perfectly into the path of Zinchenko. Um, it's a beautiful goal. It's the sort of goal that managers spend hours on a training ground you mm. know, perfecting a pattern of play. This was textbook Arsenal, I would say. I agree. And it's not an easy finish either. I'm just looking back at it again. I, I sort of, if I, was a, if I was a Wolves fan or if I was the Wolves manager, I might be a little unhappy with my number 23. Who's 23? Is that Kilman, is it? Um, uh, perhaps if he's got the captain's armband on. Yes, I think it is. Yeah. Um, anyway, I think he maybe could have done a little bit more there, but it is brilliant play. It's, it's training ground stuff. I think the pullback is, is excellent in terms of its accuracy, but it's still not an easy ball for Odegaard to hit because it is bobbling a little bit. That's true. And he strikes it so cleanly and so pure. Um, it's kind of astonishing Odegaard, you know, his goal scoring record at, at, uh, Sociedad was okay and he came to Arsenal you know it was clearly an area where he needed to improve and it's quite rare that you see a footballer just sort of decide to get better at something (laughs) but it feels like he has the ability you know his technical ability is so secure Mm. that as soon as he focused on arriving at the right time being composed in those settings the numbers have just gone up and up and up and it looks so comfortable stroking that home yeah uh, yeah, I, I don't think the defending is 
perfect from a Wolves perspective. And we spoke about Saka. I think they really missed Ike Nuri, who's been one of their best players this season. They couldn't really live with Saka in that first half on that flank. But everything Arsenal do, I think, follows Mikel Arteta's instructions to the letter, from switching the ball quickly across the pitch to the the way the space is created on the overlap to the cutback. Yeah, it's just a great, great, great goal. No, it really is, really is. And, you know, he... He was superb on the day, Martin Odegaard. Yeah. Um, we might talk a little bit about him later on or talk a bit more about him later on. So 2-0 up after, what, 13, 14 minutes and after what happened in midweek, you're sort of going, ooh, okay, could we do this again? Is this another one where we could be you mm. know, four or five up? Um, by Especially the when their first choice goalkeeper um, seemingly had had enough of the goals going in <laughs> and the freezing temperatures. Maybe that was it. He seemed to do something to his back, which, of course, is um, it's an important part of a goalkeeper's um, physiology. I believe. Sure, they have to the have back. a spine. They yeah. must have a back, which you know allows you to to make saves. And to be fair, he did make a very good save just before he went off. There was a chance for Trossard pass from yeah. Odegaard. It is a really good take from Trossard because it's a sort of a drilled ball. He had to hit it really quickly to get it into his path. A little unfortunate. It's one of those where he could have just poked it beyond the keeper, but the keeper came out and made a, a good save. That could have been 3 0. Yeah, I, I guess, you know, with hindsight, say maybe he could lift it over him or, but, you know, it's a, it's a very good stop. Mm. Brilliant first touch from Trossard. I would have absolutely loved to uh, see that hit the back of the net. It'd be another one, sort of another collector's item of a goal. But um, the guy who came on actually for Joseph Starr was. Um, Named Bentley, something Bentley. Where's he was at Bentley, Arsenal as a kid. I was believe. he? Yeah, like he was a trainee at Arsenal way, way, way back. So uh, I have, I don't think I've ever seen him play before. So probably quite a big moment for him. He's not a young guy, but uh, certainly not spent a great degree of Dan time at Bentley. The top level. Sorry, I don't know where I got Wes Bentley from, but Dan Bentley. You just uh, thought of like Wes Fodderingham as the sort of quintessential backup goalkeeper figure, I suppose. But right. yeah, Dan Bentley was at Arsenal until. 2008 um, right yeah so I mean even even with all the um, the knowledge and information we have about the youth team you know via George Bird and all that kind of stuff that's not a name I recognise yeah there you go well I guess you know you have certain goalkeepers in the group and only one plays and the rest kind of disappear but yeah. he's taken a, a long route Back to the top, Southend United, Braintree, Brentford, Bristol City, and as of this summer, Wolverhampton Wanderers. So, well, he's no Jauver Virginia, that's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> um, but a uh, big moment for him. But mm. you know, to be fair to the guy, kept a clean sheet. Uh, he did, which I did not anticipate. Let me tell you, when when Arsenal were two 0 up and flying, I thought this could be a, a bit like midweek all over again. Mm. Well, there were moments, there were chances. I think we can talk about those. Mm. I mean, Wolves did get back into the game. I, I I, sort of think that moment where the goalkeeper halted a bit of our momentum, in a way. Mm. The break in Make the game, so. and it might have allowed Wolves to, to sort of um, reset a little bit. Uh, and they did have a spell in the game, you know, around the half-hour mark, where they had some possession, they uh, a couple of crosses. I don't think they threatened in any serious way. Um but there were chances for Arsenal as well. And Gabriel Martinelli hit the post 
This was, I think, not long after he had bailed out Alexander Zinchenko, who lost the ball a bit carelessly near the halfway line. Martinelli got back and defended really, really well. A couple of minutes later, he goes through and he hits the post, which shows you just what an asset he is to this team in both directions, you know, because I think that defensive work that he did there, you know, which is what you want. You know, if your teammate makes a mistake, you don't stand and watch him point fingers, you go and you help him, right? That is the ethic that you need. And he he, he demonstrates that perfectly. But then the ability to just sort of charge up the other end and, and show the same um, desire to get forward as he did to get back, I think is just amazing. Yeah, 43 seconds I counted between him, you know, racing back into his own half and winning the ball by the corner flag and being on the end of another sweeping wow. move at the other end of the pitch and very nearly scoring. Um, and uh, I asked Michael Arteta about it after the game and he said, well, he did the same thing in training yesterday. Mm. You know? And Arteta clipped it up because he saw that desire uh, that Martinelli was showing on the training field. I think he is a, a, an incredibly impressive individual. I know his his goal contributions are down a bit this season, but the hunger and the discipline, uh, the mentality that he demonstrates, I think is mm. second to none. And yeah, people were off their feet when he uh, raced back to, to regain possession, sure. I think. Zinchenko was pretty grateful to him. And if he'd scored at the other end, yeah. Oh my God, yeah. Come off the place. When Arteta said he did the same thing in training, is that bail out Zinchenko or just make that kind of run? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I think just make that kind of run. Okay, all right. Um, but who knows? I mean, Zinchenko is a guy who does occasionally need bailing out, uh, as we'll come on to, I don't know, no doubt. Yeah. There were other chances. I think Declan Rice had a shot which deflected out for a corner. Is one of those he caught really well with his left foot. It just hit the hit the defender and went out. There was a Gabriel Jesus one at the back post where maybe he would have been offside. Yeah, um, did Gabriel get a touch on that? I think in? it sort of brushed his shoulder or maybe the back of his head or something, but he might well have been offside there. Um, I think this was a... a- a quintessential Gabriel Jesus game in some respects. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. He might have scored, probably, possibly, some would say should have scored, but his link play, his combination play was so good that he, he really added to our threat. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, there was a chance for him, I think, late in the first half where... I think there were shades of the Eddie and Kedia versus Brentford chance. It wasn't quite from the same position, but he took a shot, which yes. if you're going to take the shot, you need to have more conviction in the finish. And yeah, very was, similar, I suppose, to yeah. Eddie in that situation. It was, uh, my notes, I'm just looking at my notes here, I've written... Square uh, it. Sorry? Square it. Was that in your notes? Because <laughs> No, Rice I've actually written um, selfish but tame, basically, about the shot. Which I, I don't have a problem with it being selfish. I, you want to see your forward taking those opportunities on, but you just would like them to strike it a bit better. Yeah, I mean, I think if you look back at it, there's a very frustrated Declan Rice in the picture because it's a great pass from Odegaard to send him through. All he needs to do is just square it for right. uh, for Rice, and it's basically a tap-in. And, and quite often with situations like this, and we've seen it maybe a couple of times with with, uh, you know, like the Eddie chance against Brentford, people were going, why didn't he pass it? And sometimes the pass really isn't on. You know, in a split second, you know, if you freeze frame it, 
there is the ability maybe to make the perfect pass, but I think you need to be basically Dennis Bergkamp to make some of the passes. Mm-hmm. This one, I think he just needs to poke it with the outside of his foot and Declan Rice is there to to make it 3-0 just before the break. And I think that would have that would have quelled any chance that Wolves had of, of getting back in this game. And, and, and the margins, as we keep talking about in the Premier League, are so tight that within, what, a, a couple of minutes of missing that chance or not making it 3-0, there was a big, big chance for Wolves right at the end when there was a mix-up, I think, between Saliba and Zinchenko. I don't quite know what went on, whether there wasn't sufficient communication between the two of them, but they sort of crossed paths. Zinchenko tried to play it back to David Raya, but underhit his pass, and uh, it was Huang, I think, who who was through against David Raya, who did very well. But that was that was a, another moment in which Zinchenko's defensive um, instincts were maybe found wanting. Yeah, I mean, I'm watching it back now. G- Gabriel comes out of the back line to, to try and win a header. Um, and to be fair, I'm not sure who it is for Wolves. I wonder if it might be Semedo, the right wing back, sort of tucking around. They win a really good header against Gabriel to, to knock the ball on. Um, and there's a bit of space in behind him. Mm. And that's where the kind of miscommunication between Zinchenko and Saliba seems to be. There's a bit of a, like, leaving it to each other sort of moment. Zinchenko doesn't get a good contact on it. Mm. And Huang goes through. Uh, Raya, Raya does well. I mean, his position, he's not sort of stuck to his line. Uh, you know, he's able to come out and close the space. There isn't a great deal of time for Huang to make anything of it. But if he gets that more solid contact, and I think if he goes round the goalkeeper, for example, mm. rather than just sort of trying to nudge the ball beyond him, I think that might well be 2-1. And that would have felt like a, well, not a reflection of the half whatsoever um and yeah like you say you go from at one end of the pitch thinking you might be about to completely kill the game to suddenly potentially keeping the match alive yeah i mean this is this is where i am with this game in that i think whatever wolves had was down to us wasn't Mm. so much wolves creating dangerous opportunities it was our own carelessness that presented them with, with chances. If you think about it, I think there was one save that David Raya made very early in the second half. It might have been might have been Mateus Cunha, actually, uh, who turned and shot with his left foot. Raya made a save at, at the near post. But beyond that, I can't really remember Wolves doing anything to to put us under any real pressure or, or to create goal-scoring chances, whereas that moment, the goal, obviously, that they scored a bit late on was entirely down to us. Um, so, I, you know, I know there are questions about the performance and whether, whether we should have scored more goals and all the rest of it, but it, it is one of those where it's perhaps good to get a reminder of of how secure you need to be in the Premier League. Um, you know, we've taken three points and that's obviously a, a very good thing and we're top of the table and that's obviously a very good thing, but you can take lessons from every game and I think the lesson from this game from an Arsenal perspective is, is you know, security and being secure um, because otherwise the opposition have nothing to, to threaten you with. Yeah, I think I think that's right. Uh, I think there was an element of carelessness that crept into the performance, particularly in the second half. Um, 
I thought, you know, Raya obviously did well on that chance just before half time. And you mentioned the save he made at the start of the second half. Funnily enough, since he's come into the Arsenal team, he's not had to make a great many saves, but this was a day where mm. he was required to make just a handful, two or three. Um, and he did it all of that very well. So I thought this was a positive day for him. Um, but yeah, it, it, you know, it's, we've talked so much about that 2-0 scoreline and, you know, I think it can feel quite insecure or not necessarily like a, a good enough buffer, but it's just because all it takes is one moment and suddenly it doesn't overhaul your lead, it doesn't draw them level, but it just introduces a bit of jeopardy, a bit of anxiety. And I think as long as that's the margin you are winning by, that's always going to be in the ether, you know? For sure. For sure. Should Arsenal have had a penalty in the early stages of the second half? You'll have to tell me, Andrew, because it was something that uh, I wasn't still tucking into my prawn sandwiches, but I think I averted (laughs) my eyes. I was looking at my laptop, you know, working hard in that specific moment. But just before halftime, I have to say, Gabriel also made an excellent tackle inside the penalty box, which on first glance had my heart in my mouth slightly. Um, I was like, well, I'll definitely review that. And I couldn't have been more delighted when I saw that review. Sure. Um, What about the Jesus one? You tell me. Well, my thinking on this, right, is that if that foul is sufficient to rule out a Leandro Trossard goal against Leicester, because Ben White committed that foul on the goalkeeper, you know, and Trossard still had plenty to do, um, Mm -hmm. you know, when he curled it into the top corner like if that foul is sufficient to rule out a goal then it should be sufficient for a penalty when it's carried out on a forward who's trying to get to the ball yeah i agree with that in principle if we're seeing goals uh, disallowed for that kind of thing then it's a foul and probably should have been a penalty so again another moment where the game might have been effectively over in arsenal's favor mm. how did you view the second half in general because you know i saw people talking about how Look, I know the way it turned out kind of informed some of the the discussion post-game where, you know, Arsenal may be accused of not scoring the the third goal or not trying hard enough to score the third goal. Mm -hmm. But I thought we were just in control of this game. Mm -hmm. I would have been much happier, of course, if we'd scored a third goal. But I think the, the sort of panic of the final... 15 minutes or thereabouts after they got the goal, the the nerves that kicked in then because of game state, if we want to go back to that, sort of obscure the fact that we did have chances to score goal and we uh, score goals. We controlled the game. We played a lot of it in their half. There were moments where, you know, uh, as we saw against Lawns, if you have that attacking efficiency, the game is completely and utterly out of sight. So I didn't really think it was a, a collective casualness, if you like, but, a, you know, a moment of individual individual casualness uh, cost us the goal because I can remember chance for uh, Declan Rice set up by Martin Odegaard, which he, he sort of dragged wide. There was one Bakayo Saka shot just over the bar. If you remember, he curled a shot just over. I think Leandro Trossard should score to make it 3-0 after a, a very good Odegaard pass. So mm-hmm. it wasn't as if those moments were were missing from our performance. No, I thought it was interesting, by the way, we spoke last week about maybe needing to take on shots from the edge of the box a little mm. bit more uh, against these deep defences. And I thought Declan Rice 
really assumed responsibility in that regard, whether it was his right foot, whether it was his left. He wasn't shy of taking on those opportunities when they came to him, which I guess shouldn't be a surprise. The man seems to relish responsibility. But, yeah, I feel the same. It's interesting, you know, you speak about the panic of those final few minutes. It's a personal thing, but I didn't feel a great sense of panic. Um, Hmm. And I felt... Once they got the goal back, I never really felt that there was a great deal of threat. And I think that speaks to how effective and efficient this Arsenal team is becoming. Yeah, um, it was more a reflection of the the game overall, right? I think the, the final 15 minutes or, or 12 or 14 minutes with all the injury time, like I agree with you that there wasn't a great deal of threat from Wolves, but mm. but for me where the nerves kicked in, was the sort of uh, out of the blue nature of the goal that they got because there was nothing going on and then we gave them I mean it's a very good finish to be fair he takes that very very well I don't think David Raya has any chance whatsoever but we we gift wrapped that for them that uh, that chance which he took very well so it wasn't a case that I thought oh we're under a lot of pressure here it was more a case of well another moment like that which has been there were moments like that peppered through the game mostly from from Zinchenko, in fairness. But they were there. So it wasn't as if I was 100% secure in the knowledge that this could not happen again, if that makes sense. I I do understand that, yeah. I'm just saying sort of my own feelings watching it was slightly different in that I think maybe last season uh, had Wolves got that goal back, I think... I, I think there would have been a more palpable nervousness from the players. And I felt that they, uh, I, I didn't, I didn't feel they looked uncomfortable in that last period, but uh, it's subjective, but mm. like, I, yeah, I, I, I think that this was a really dominant performance with a few individual errors at the back Um but that we were well, well, well worth the win. Oh, I agree. I completely agree with that. Completely yeah. agree. I think the the scoreline and the the tense nature of the final stages of the game has obscured the fact that we played very, very well. We controlled ninety eight, ninety nine percent of this game. We allowed them a goal because of a mistake. Uh, as I said, I think everything that they threatened with came because because of us you know, because of our own carelessness, whatever you want to call it. But I think the performance in general was was excellent. I think there were, uh, what, we have 19 shots, something like that, hit the post a couple of times. You know, yeah, Martinelli- I, think, I think our um, underlying metrics, you know, our XG and all that were, were pretty much better against... Uh, wolves than they were in midweek. Right, kind of. Well, that tells you, yeah, it tells yeah. you a lot about the the performance. It's just m- missing the sort of efficiency in the final third or with those chances. Like I said, what, what did you make of the, the couple of chances in the second half? Um, Trossard could have made it three nil. Should he have made it three nil? There, do you think? Yeah, yeah. probably. Yeah, I, I think did the ball rebound to Saka, maybe, and that might have uh, been a bit of a chance as well. I, yeah, there were a few moments. Um, what about Eddie? You well, know. that was after the two one, yeah. of course. But that would have uh, that would have immediately made it th- uh, made it three one, and you know everyone's calm again. Yeah, there was quite a lot of frustration in the ground about that not going in. I would say I understand that because you know we've just given a goal away, and there's the chance just to sort of 
bail your teammate out again. And I, I think even if it's really close, I think that's a bad miss. Mm. It's I, I have to say I feel for him a little bit because it hits the inside of the post. I sure, mean- but, you know, it's it's either in or it isn't. You know, I think a, a striker in that position should be scoring. I think the response to it is um, uh, is more about people's general frustrations with it, Eddie, if you see what I mean. I'm, I remember thinking, like, as when the ball hit the post, the, the crowd reaction, you normally get an ooh, but it wasn't an ooh, it was an ah! <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I don't know if there was another player on the pitch who would have elicited that response, personally. Maybe, but- maybe not. I mean, my, I, it's not really a, about Eddie. I just think any player in that position uh, at this level should score that goal. And I know it was close, and I know it was just off the inside of the post. And ultimately, it doesn't mean you know a great deal in the grand scheme of things because we we came away with three points. But I, I guess it just sort of highlights the difference between Wednesday and yesterday, where I think Wednesday that would have gone in. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. That's the variance, right? You can create the chances, but you're not always gonna overperform uh mm. you know in a, in a match in front of goal i'm not saying that would have been overperforming freddie to put that one away i agree he should have scored but it's uh yeah it, it, it just didn't we didn't get the breaks i guess in the penalty box that we did uh on wednesday what about this question that we have given that we've we've talked about the goal in sort of um roundabout terms but uh, afc or ypy on the Discord says, has a game ever more clearly demonstrated the yin and the yang of Zinchenko? Instrumental to the attack, problematic for our ability to close out a game by encouraging the opposition with with big moments. I mean, I think it it probably does. You know, the the stuff he gives you going forward and his involvement in the second goal was outstanding, but defensively, he was kind of all over the place. Um, not just in the second half. I think, you know, we've already talked about moments in the in the first half as well. Yeah, and uh, Sam Dean asked Mikel Arteta about it after the game. He said, you have to love him how he is. Every player <laughs> has strengths and weaknesses. Alex has many more strengths. This happened and it can happen to any player. Um, it's a pretty emphatic defence, I would say. Hmm. Uh, what, what? I mean, it's true, I think. He he does have strengths and weaknesses. We know absolutely what they are. And one of his weaknesses, I think, is sort of... I don't know if the word is concentration, it but... Can, yeah, it can't really be anything other than that because technically this guy is yeah. unbelievable. So it's whether it's concentration or... Overconfidence, maybe. Maybe, or a lack of defensive, real defensive instincts. You know, like, what's the lesson from the goal that he gave away? Do you think when they examine that on the training ground, what do you think the lesson imparted to Zinchenko will be from a manager who wants his team to play, who wants to keep possession? I mean, I think part of that second half, it it occurred to me during the second half, was like, this is the epitome of Arteta killing a game with 300,000 passes, right? Mm. The way we just controlled everything, it was safe, it was secure, and then we let them back into it. But I think maybe the the lesson is, you know, there are moments, even if you are technically brilliant like Sinchenko, even if your manager wants you to play your way out of trouble, sometimes, sometimes you just need to put your fucking foot through the ball. And that might sound industrial or whatever it is, but... I think that's true 
you know, at certain at certain points in games, there are things you probably just need to do as a defender, um, and that's get the ball away from your box. I think you're right, and Arteta, in one of his post-game interviews, said as much. He was like, there are certain scenarios where you cannot try and play, especially, I think he said, especially given what's happened in the previous phase of the game. So I'd have to go back and watch that in more detail to figure out what exactly he meant by that. But yeah, in layman's terms, sometimes you've just got to boot it clear. Um, I think Arteta's had players uh, who that would be more their inclination. And I think... I think he would rather have a guy whose instinct was more often to play than not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think Zinchenko is at a certain end of the spectrum in that regard. You know, I think, I think, I think overconfidence may well be his issue. Um, I think he backs himself technically in almost every scenario, even when it's not necessarily appropriate. The funny thing is, like from a defensive perspective. I think this idea that he can't defend at all is wrong. I agree. Like I, I was looking at some of the numbers yesterday and in terms of ball recoveries, uh, he was very good. He's very good in aerial challenges for a guy his height. He's got a real spring on him. Um, I think his positional play is better than he gets credit for. He just has these moments. Uh, it's just the thing of keeping it up for 90 minutes. And again, that, as you say, could be a concentration issue. But I wonder how significant the injury or whatever it was that forced Takahiro Tomiyasu yeah. to come off was. Because think how many games of late we've seen gets to 70 minutes, 80 minutes, Zinchenko off, White and Tomiyasu at fullback. We lock it down. Yeah, I think that's spot on. I, you know, I don't think Zinchenko is really a late stage game player. Is that the no. right way to say it? Like, yeah, and Arteta seems to know that. Yeah, and I do wonder if you know if Tommy Asu had hadn't had to go off, if White would have come on and Tommy Asu moves over to left back. You know, uh, you know, I I think with Zinchenko, he did take Zinchenko off, didn't he? Afterwards for Kivio, did he? Yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. Which again is quite instructive. Yeah, I forgot what I was going to say actually. Um, oh, just sort of Zinchenko. I mean, I think. I don't know if it's overconfidence or lack of concentration or or something, but sabotage. You know, He's still working for City. Yeah, you know, I, I just think that the they're so at odds with what he is capable of from a technical perspective. You you see him sometimes, and he shimmies away, or he picks the ball up in tight spaces, or you know, as we saw last week, that that sort of chest and hooked pass immediately. You know what what this guy is capable of from a technical level is completely at odds with the mistakes that he makes. You know, he should not be making those mistakes. The Martinelli one in the first half, he had all the time in the world, but got caught on the ball. You know, you should not, um, if you're as good as him, um, get caught out like that. So I, I don't know how. So what do you think, like moving forward? A lot of people in my mentions yesterday were like, we can't continue as Inchenko. He's a liability. Are you in, are you I in don't, that? I don't agree with that. No, I don't think he's a liability. That's... That's way too harsh. It's way too harsh. But I do think it's quite interesting that this season we've seen a development in that area of the pitch where we're saying, is this a Zinchenko game or a Tommy Asu game at left back? And in future, could it and be a Jurian Timber game? Exactly. Exactly. Where what he brings to the team is unquestionable going forward and, and the impact that he can make and, and how he can glue things together. I think everyone can see that. 
But I also think that, you know, if it gets to 60 minutes and it's 1-0 or uh, even 2-0, I think the last half hour is a more true defender's scenario than it is a Zinchenko scenario. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, I think that probably gives the manager uh, manager a decision to make in the in the longer term. How, you know, how does he use him? When does he use him? Uh, and all the rest of it. You know, I think it's clear from what he said afterwards that Arteta still sees way more benefit to what Zinchenko brings than the downside to the to the mistakes that he makes. Um, there's no question about that. But uh, yeah. I think for the most part, he still is a net positive for for the team. You know, I'm not in the uh, the camp where he's a a liability, but I do think games like yesterday, he should do better. He's capable of doing better, and I think it's right to expect him to do better um, in those moments because, you know, it, it gave Wolves sort of a lifeline in this game and gave everybody sort of higher blood pressure for the last 15 minutes when really, you know, we should have just seen that out at two nil. Yeah, I, I think I've, I'm slightly more, what's the word, philosophical about it because I don't think we can eliminate this from his game. I think it is who he is mm-hmm. to a certain extent. I, I know that he can do better in you know scenarios and there's coaching that can be applied, but he's never going to be a born defender. I listen I agree and I think if you've got like a, a flying winger running at him for 90 minutes mm-hmm. and he gets exposed a bit defensively you know I I can live with that because of the kind of player that he is mm-hmm. I just worry that the lapses in concentration and the mistakes um it's hard to imagine Arteta tolerating them from many other players that's what I would definitely say I think that's a good point that's a good way of getting across what I was trying to say um, and not only does he sort of tolerate them with Zinni, he sort of almost, uh, you know, he, he, he still speaks out in praise of him all the time. Mm, um, it's not quite indulging him, but I, I, like I said, I think he sees, um, you know, what he brings to the team uh, is overwhelmingly positive in his mind, even if these moments exist. And I think he he probably looks to... Players like Gabriel, like Gabriel Martinelli, like William Saliba, um, maybe Declan Rice as well, as capable of offsetting some of the defensive issues that Zinchenko has at times. Mm. And and look, it's not every game or anything. It really isn't every game. I know that there's a perception no. that this happens all the time. I think, <laughs> well, look, I don't think it is. I don't think it is. There are moments, um, and they happen with a kind of frequency that... You know, I, I don't really care for, but it's not every game. I don't think it's every game, but, you know. I, I see, I see, I really like Zinchenko and I'd probably be picking him, but I would say there's probably a moment in every game. It's just some get punished and some don't. But doesn't, uh, doesn't every player have like a moment in course. every game? If you think about the, if you think about the passage of play where we present the chance to Wolves at the end of the first half, we actually, uh, Zinchenko makes another mistake, but we get the ball clear. It comes to Bakayo Saka. And Leandro Trossard picks the ball up in midfield and then loses the ball and then makes a silly foul to give away a free kick, which Wolves have at the end of the first half, like halfway into our half. 
And that's Absolutely. there's a moment, like every player has them. Even goalkeepers, we've seen that plenty of times this season. I, I just think because, I don't know, yeah, it, it's it's fascinating with Zinchenko. He is just an unusual player um, and a very interesting player and not a perfectly rounded player. Uh, but Arteta seems to re- be absolutely loyal to him and still sees all the positives that he brings. And we haven't spoken about those a great deal today, but they are there too. Mm-hmm. So it's just a it's just a bit of a complex picture. I think we, he can do better than he did yesterday, for sure. But I think there's always going to be that element of risk sure. with him, which is just interesting in a season where so much of what Arteta has done feels about the elimination of risk, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, is still there. Well, we thank him this morning for giving us plenty to talk about, at least. Um, yeah. And ultimately, you know, the mistake, as bad as it was, didn't cost us any points. And like we said, there might be an opportunity to to learn from that. And, you know, I think players and teams can always take lessons from games. And uh, maybe next time you just wax it up the field and uh, who knows what happens. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I had, I had some thoughts about Martin Odegaard as well, but maybe we can uh, move them into part two because I've got a question or two. Yeah. Unless there's oh, anything yeah, else. Anything else about the game you want to? No, not in particular. I think, I think that sort of covers it really. I mean, Ultimately, I think it's uh, a, a good result. I know a bit nervy towards the end, but I think Wolves are better than their league position suggests. Mm-hmm. I think they've been pretty unlucky with some of the officiating. It's cost them a lot of points. Uh, they've been a real threat against the big teams. Beat Man City should certainly have got something at Old Trafford. Um, so, yeah, I, I was really pleased to yep. see us win this game and sort of consolidate our position at the top of the Premier League. For sure. All right. Well, look, we will take a little break here. We'll come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter, at GunnarBlog and at ArsBlog, also on the ArsBlog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an ArsBlog member on Patreon. And it is from the Discord that we begin today, James, from the Zeke Meister. Mm-hmm. 
He says, Now that the attack is humming again, can we confidently say at this point that the main thing we were missing was last season's Martin Odegaard? He's clearly struggled with form and fitness so far this season, but now he looks healthy and back to his effervescent best. Does Odegaard truly hold the keys to this attack? I think he's had two really strong games this week um, against Lons and then against Wolves. Thought he was excellent yesterday as mm. did you i believe right yeah i thought he was i thought he was brilliant um just the chances he created the space he was able to find i thought that was really interesting that there were moments where he was picking the ball up in ha uh, around the halfway line in areas where he wasn't earlier in the season that might be to do with the fact that wolves had their two first choice central midfield players missing and weren't quite as strong in there as they would normally be but there's a sharpness to him, uh, to the way he moves the ball. I think he had six key passes yesterday. Should have a couple of assists to his name on top of the goal that he scored. We already talked about the goal, but the creativity he showed yesterday was was outstanding. And I think those little flick passes, you know, the ones he makes with the, the sort of the outside of his left foot yeah, that we haven't really seen a great deal of uh, at times this season, they're back in his armory now as well. I just thought he was brilliant. Yeah, I, I did too. I thought he was excellent. And I thought the whole right-hand side functioned very well. Mm. I, I half expected Ben White to come in for this game. Same. Uh, and he didn't. But I thought Tommy Asu's combination play on that flank was really good. Obviously, he had an assist for Saka's goal. I was struck as well by how much he made kind of underlapping runs. You know, he, I think he was popping up more narrow than we were accustomed to seeing Ben White. And I think... Mm. I wonder if that helped Odegaard, just, I don't know, just changing the dynamic of that flank a little bit. Um, but, you know, last season, I think we would have thought maybe, well, we probably need, to get a game like that out of Odegaard and Saka, we probably need Ben White in there. But I think Tommy Asu's form is so good right now that, you know, that flank functioned perfectly with the three that we had against Wolves. And mm. hopefully his injury is, is not significant. Yeah, I hope not. I hope not. It's... Um... Yeah, we had a question about that, actually, um, from Super Nintendo Chalmers. Love mm -hmm. that. What's the best way to preserve Tomiyasu until the Liverpool game? Cryo chamber, horse placenta. Um, he says, I love the fact that all Arsenal fans think he is Salah's kryptonite because of one game. Hopefully that's correct. Uh, and it is one of those games when we talk about your left back when you're playing Liverpool. Is it a Zinchenko game or is it a Tomiyasu game? I think it's definitely a Tommy Asu game, isn't it? I would think so. I would think so. Um, and so to that end, I, I, I wonder if he'll just be given midweek off, you know? Mm. Um, he's it in did... really good form and he's playing with confidence again. And my impression of Tommy Asu is he's someone who takes a while to build that confidence. And I would hate for him to be stopped at this point, you know, while he's got some momentum behind him. Because yeah. I think he's just such a good defender. It, you know, fingers crossed, it didn't look too no. bad. Like he wasn't hobbling off the pitch or anything like that. He, he clearly felt something. Maybe it was a, a bit of a calf strain, hopefully more cramp than a strain. Um, but I think he's been excellent um, over the last couple of weeks. He's been really good. And, you know, his involvement in the first goal yesterday on top of the involvements he had in the goals against... Uh, lawns in midweek. Um, fingers crossed he's 
he's you know not out for for too long. But just going back to Odegaard, I mean, do you think it's a coincidence that maybe two of our best attacking performances in terms of chance creation? have come when Odegaard is sort of refreshed, recharged, revitalized, whatever you call, want to call it, um, you know, that there is a fluency to the way we attack when he is close to his best. Undoubtedly, you know, I, I, I don't think that's a coincidence in the least. Um, he is really important to this team and I think it has been a bit of a sticky start to the season for him. Um you know, there's a number of individuals in this Arsenal side who aren't, haven't contributed in the first half of the season what we might ordinarily expect of them. You know, if you look at goals and assist numbers, I think we'd be within our rights to expect more from Odegaard, from Gabriel Martinelli, even from Gabriel Jesus, uh, in the Premier League at least. And so I hope that now it seems those players are finding a bit of form. Mm. We're going to go to another gear, right? That's kind of what we've said all season long. Um, but I think it's right to point out that Odegaard's incredibly important in that. And a good Arsenal team is one that has Odegaard sort of humming away at yeah. the heart of it. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, what about this? It's quite left field, but I enjoyed it from Mike McDonald. Mike said, what should a left eight have? A strong work ethic, a dual winner, ability in tight spaces, combines well with others, can penetrate on the dribble to complement Odegaard's passing, can contribute 15 to 20 goals and assists without the pressure of being the main striker. Isn't this Gabriel Jesus? <laughs> so uh, this is the Gabriel Jesus for left eight campaign beginning right now? It starts now. It yeah. starts now, Andrew. I think we sort of joked about it on a previous show mm. about doing a Joe Linton with it. Um, I d yeah, I mean, I don't see it, to be honest. I don't think that is Gabriel Jesus's best position by any means, because I think the sort of combinations that he's involved in need to happen much closer to the penalty box um, for them to be as effective as they are. Um, I mean, there was another question about Gabriel Jesus from Lowy133, we all love how Jesus plays, but one league goal all season is not good enough. There are forwards out there who can do the Jesus stuff, but also score 20 goals. Maybe. I'm not sure about that. Why is he graded differently to, to other strikers? I mean, I think it's a bit of a Lacazette conversation all over. Again. Yeah, I mean, there's a slightly cherry picking the uh, stats there. You know, one league goal, I get it. But also, what's he got four? Four goals and two assists in the Champions League in four I think games. He's only played about three games as a centre forward um, mm. in the Premier League uh, to date. But it's interesting when we were debating Zinchenko and players who offer more than they cost you. I did think of Jesus, you know, because he is a player with enormous strengths to his game. But he does have a flaw, and his flaw is his reliability as a goal scorer, in my opinion. Mm. Um, and I think the data over time sort of mostly backs that up. In the Premier League, at least, his record in the Champions League, for whatever reason, is outstanding. Um, Just tell him it's a Champions League game every weekend. <laughs> They're all foreign players. He won't be able to tell. Yeah. Um, you are playing Wolves yeah, today. I think when we take into away games, 
we blindfold him and put him <laughs> in the boot, essentially, of the coach, you know, with all the luggage. And then we get him out and say, you're in France now. <laughs> um, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, so it sounds mental, obviously. No offence, Mike. It sounds mad, the left eight thing. But uh, I'll chuck myself in the camp of curious. Like, I agree it's probably not his best position. But funnily enough, I don't think it's Granite Shaka's best position. And I don't think it's Leo Trossard's best position. Or even necessarily Kai Havertz. But what we ask of that left date is unconventional. So I'm not adverse to an unconventional solution. Mm. I'm, I don't think it will happen. No, I don't think it will either. And I'm a lot more skeptical about it than, than you might be. Curious, perhaps. But, I, you know, no. I suppose it, it what just, I would say is, what's Trossard got to play there that Jesus hasn't? That, I, that would be my question. My answer would be more experience of playing in deeper positions. Mm-hmm. Because it is, you know, Jesus has played his entire career, you know, in the forward line. Yeah, I mean, look, I've often thought about Bukayo Saka in the left eight position. Yeah, you know, he's so good on the right. I understand why he plays there and all the rest of it. Technically, I think he could do it. I just think he's such a good player. He would be able to to flourish in that position. I just, I just can't picture it with Jesus. I don't know, maybe, you know, you've made a very good argument for it, but it just doesn't feel right to me. Um, instinctively, I, I, I just don't see him as effective in, in that position. I could be completely wrong, of course. I'm not sure we'll ever know because, like you, I don't think we'll ever see it. Well, I, I think the problem is he's our best striker by mm. a long way. And so I think it's something that could only really be discussed in a scenario where we had another centre-forward of that calibre and we're not in that place yet. Yeah, we need that. Uh, Lowy maybe can tell us, you know, where to get that guy who does all the Jesus <laughs> stuff but also get 20 goals. Yeah, and hopefully nice and affordable as yeah, well. Yeah, cheap, I'd uh, say, that guy. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember the first time Trossard did it for Arsenal was in, I think it might have been the Southampton game, the ill-fated Southampton game. Last season, it was certainly a scenario where Arsenal were chasing a late goal. Mm. And I could see, I could imagine a situation where we might, that if Jesus was ever going to do it, that would be the time. Um, but as I say, I think it sort of requires you to have a really reliable centre forward alternative that you trust. And I, I don't think we're quite in that place, really. So. I'd be curious, but it would require a lot of dominoes to fall mm. for, for us to ever see it. Um, mm. Yeah, I, but listen, very interested on finding about who those strikers are. Yes, please. Uh, James Lowy, let us know. Let's have a list. All right. Uh, Joe, who's at Joe Arsenal underscore on Twitter, says, with five straight wins since the Newcastle game, is it fair to say Arteta's handling of that defeat was spot on? I felt part of the reason he went so strong on VAR was to protect the players, and it seems to have created the siege mentality we hoped it would. It's a great point. I hadn't thought about it in those terms. So, yeah, we, we were beaten at Newcastle. 
Yeah, Sevilla, Burnley, Brentford, Lons, Wolves. Mm. It's a very decent run, but it's reflective of what we are. We're a good team. We won't lose a lot of games. Andrew, I really think we're going to win something this year. I really think we are. Well, I hope you're right. Yeah, I, I, I've, I said it a while ago, and my conviction at this point is stronger than ever. I, I, I can't for sure say it's going to be the Premier League or it's going to be the Champions League, but this team is capable of winning the Premier League. I really think that. I think this team is more capable of winning the Premier League than last season's team, and last so season's I. team came very close. I, I, I'm fascinated, I have to say, by what Arteta said before this game. I should go back and see if I can find it. But he was, you know, I think he was asked in the pregame press conference where, um, you know, there's this constant reference to last season, isn't there? Mm -hmm. Like, are we going to be able to do what we did last season? Can we click from an attacking perspective the way we did last season? And he said, I've got the quote here, he said, it will be different. It won't be the same, and we cannot expect the same. This team is going to be different to last season, hopefully very different next season. And that's part of the evolution by leaving some things in the past to make way for new things. It's a transition. We still want to be competitive and win matches, and I think the team is competing really well. Um, and yeah. I think that is really, really interesting because it's, it's so deliberate you know, and we can talk about players we've missed this season um, that have, I think, had an impact on how we've attacked, right? Mm -hmm. Odegaard, as we mentioned, uh, you know, struggled with a bit of form and fitness and all the rest of it. Gabriel Jesus in and out of the team. Thomas Partey has barely played. Um, El was out. El, of course, season, of exactly. Course. You know, yeah. But, you know, I think there are reasons why certain games haven't been as fluent because of personnel that we've been missing and all the rest of it. But I also think that this is a very, very different approach to how we attack, how we play games, how we win games, right? That even with these guys out and the mitigating, uh, mitigating circumstances, you're, we're winning a lot of football matches. And I think yeah. that, you know, I think... Uh, <laughs> People might say the football is a bit more prosaic or whatever it is. Uh, I think that might be true. But I also think it's absolutely 100% deliberate that this is a different season. It's a different team. It's a different mindset, perhaps, from the manager and maybe from the players about how we win football matches and what way we win football matches. Like, I think we could be more comfortable at times. But, you know, ultimately, we've missed players. We haven't been at... Uh, in inverted commas, our best, and we are four points clear at the top of the table. And and yeah. this that that is the evidence that you need as to um, you know, what way Arteta is approaching this season. And I think, you know, last season, everyone talks about how much fun it was, right? Mm -hmm. Which it was. It was amazing. But I think what Arteta is aiming for this season is like maximum fun return in May. <laughs> right and if yeah. along the way it's not as exciting or it's not as entertaining he does not give a fuck because come may if we have the big fun party all of that will be worthwhile i think that's true and what i'm about to say might sound quite odd and i reserve my right to change my mind okay. in may 
But if you ask me right now, I would say I probably loved last season's team more because they elicited more emotion mm. in me. And that's sort of what drives my experience as a fan. But I think this team is better set up to win a Premier League, for sure. I feel pretty confident about that. And, yeah, I, I have this... I, I really, really, really feel... They're certainly capable of it, and I really feel they're going to do something big this year. Um yeah, I, there's just something about them. I, you know, I'm old enough to have seen teams win leagues before and there are certain traits that they share. And, it, you know, if this game against Wolves had been last season, obviously this is complete speculation, but it would probably have gone to 2-1 and the crowd would have been anxious and biting their nails and on edge and the players would have been, you know, booting it away from their own box and digging in and 10 men in the box trying to head it away. Like, it, and it probably at full time would have been elation. You know, we did it. We clung on. We got the 2-1. But this team, this team, I think, are more clinical, more cold in the way that they play. Maybe not clinical in terms of taking chances sure. yesterday. I know what but, you mean. And there's a calculated approach from the manager to yeah assuage against that sort of anxiety uh and i think it's a much more stable way of playing and so uh, listen city are great and liverpool are great but arsenal are really really good as well i don't disagree mm. don't disagree i i think they're I think if you try and win the league by replicating, or if we had tried to win the league this season by replicating what we did last season, it would never have worked. You know, I, I, I strongly believe that last season was a kind of a kind of a one-off. You yeah. know, um, how do I how do I put it? Lightning in a bottle. You know? Kind of, yeah. Like a rolling stone gathering a lot of moss. And we mm. just kept rolling and rolling and rolling. And it was a, it was a lot of fun, you know? Uh but I don't the edge of a cliff. <laughs> well, yeah, well, you know, in the end. But you know, I don't think we could have replicated that because there was there were things about last season that that were just like, oh my god, look at this, like William Saliba, for example. Yeah, where he came in the team, and everyone was like, Jesus, this guy's fucking brilliant. Oh look, he can score a sweeping left-footed goal from the edge of the box. You know, these lightning in a bottle things, as you say, were there, but but you have to do it differently and you have to, you have to, you know, take into account what other people think of you as well and, and how other teams are going to play against you. And we've had this discussion about low blocks and, and the way teams, you know, in some ways are forced to play against us because of how dominant we are, because of how much control we have, because of how much we play in the opposition have. You can say, well, they, they've come to sit with 10 men behind the ball but it, you know, in some ways, we're forcing them to do that too, mm -hmm. because of just that's true. Because it's of how respect, we play, isn't it, that yeah, us. and also because of you know where we're playing the game. We could choose to play it further back, I guess, and and maybe invite them on and try and use a you know space a bit differently. But part of it is because of just how we play. So, well, can I throw something in on that? Yeah, this is not really a question, but more a statement. But I'd be interested on in your response to it, taking a leaf out of the statements podcast. Okay. Um, 
Optimistic Gunner on the Discord says, Hot take. Handle with gloves. Okay. Us playing out from the back requires us to fluff it up sometimes. If teams don't press us in that moment, we don't create the spaces we need further up the pitch. Um, is it true that playing out from the back is sort of incumbent that there is that jeopardy or that possibility of losing the ball to encourage teams out? I, I think that's probably true in the sense that it just happens. You know, there is going to be a, a risk-reward element that sometimes you're on the wrong side of. But I don't think it requires us to mess it up if that if there's a distinction there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think it I think happens. Leave. William Saliba's very good at it. He's very good at giving mm. the opposition belief that they can nick the ball off him. You know, he, yeah. he lets them get very, very, very close. And then he just swerves away. But I think he shows them enough of the ball mm. to invite the press. I think that you can do that without making a mistake, if you see what I mean. No, if you're William I, Saliba. I agree. And I think most of our players are very accomplished on the ball. Um, I just think it's a, a natural consequence of playing like that. Sometimes it's going to go wrong. And that's why the opposition, like if it never went wrong, the opposition would never press you. Exactly. You know, but it's not a case of doing it deliberately. It's just part and parcel of the game. Sometimes a player will make a bad pass. Sometimes a goalkeeper will make a bad pass. And that gives the opposition the, the, the ability. I mean, you could see it yesterday. Gary O'Neill at times was like urging his team to press higher up the pitch. And when they did it, we just bypassed them every single time. Mm -hmm. Like they tried to press. You could see it in the second half as well. After they made a couple of changes, they tried to play higher up the pitch. And we just went around them and then played the game in their half and made chances that we should have scored to make the game more comfortable, you know? So it's not as if teams aren't doing it, but we're very, very good at, at uh, playing out of trouble and playing our way into the opposition half to the point where, you know, they're discouraged then from coming forward. So yeah. I don't think it's impossible that, that something like that statement is in Arteta's mind when he thinks about picking Zinchenko. You know, I, I can see him being calculated enough that he thinks, well... If Zinchenko attracts a press and attracts attention, that is going to benefit others in the team. Mm. I think it's an interesting idea anyway. Um, over to you. Ringo Casey on the Discord says, we have the lowest amount of yellow cards in the league, but it's not as if we're not making tackles. We're 12th. Uh, Manchester City are 20th. Is this a really clear demonstration of the control Arteta is implementing on matches? I feel like we used to get cards for anything and everything. Has that perception changed? Is it perception or is it tactical? I noticed that William Saliba got a booking yesterday, yeah. first first time for a long time. Yes, uh, 400 and something days, something wow. like that. Um, I think that this season it's probably indicative of a team that aren't playing under strain and duress. Mm. You know, when games are stretched, when you're at the limit of your physical and mental capacity – I think that's when, uh, you know, fouls are made and, and bad tackles are made. I always remember we, you know, that was Granite Xhaka's problem for such a long time, you know, that we were kind of demanding a, a degree of athleticism from him that he didn't necessarily have. And consequently, you know, he was paying for it by having to lunge into some tackles. Mm. Um, I think it just shows 
listen, we are so good in our shape that we're not left in many scenarios where we have to make last-ditch, dangerous, desperate challenges. Yeah. I think there's a real through line between um, your, how organised you are and how many yellow cards you pick up. You know, yeah. I, I don't think it's any coincidence that in the early part of um, Arteta's reign and, and you know, going back even under Unai Emery and, and Arsene Wenger, we got a lot more yellow cards because defenders are um, defending in a desperate fashion, whereas there's much more structure to the way that we play. Um, but I do think there is something different in in how we are perceived as a team now as well that I think we can sort of get away with a little bit more. And I know I say that in a season when Tommy Asu was sent off for, for absolutely nothing. But I do feel like we used to get more yellow cards that would make me scratch my head and think, well, come on, that's hardly a, that's hardly a booking. Um, that slowly the control that we have over games is changing the perception of, of what we do when we're in transition and when we're trying to make tackles. So Yeah. I think we, I think we've got the fewest yellow cards in the league. Eighteen, um, Liverpool twenty three, Man City twenty three. The very friendly Bournemouth team are actually second with twenty one. Right. Um, but to underline the point, uh, the team at the bottom of the Premier League for disciplinary record right now uh, is Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. And no surprise either to see Newcastle actually down in seventeenth. But there you go. There you go. All right. Um, okay, let's get a question. Just staring at that table. So Archie Arsenal says, Goodly morning, gents. After 14 appearances now, how would you rate David Raya's start for us? I think he's really started to click with his centre-halves recently. Uh, I think that's true. Mm -hmm. um, like when he was called into action yesterday, that moment at the end of the first half, that was a big intervention maybe the Wolves player should do better but Raya was still out quickly and and got himself down made a good save I think he's looking more comfortable now because he's probably more secure in the knowledge that the the number one position is his regardless of whatever happens like he can make a mistake and I don't think he's going to lose his place and ultimately no, I think that's time as yeah. well isn't it you know 14 starts, like Archie says in the question. Yeah, he's also, you know, what we talk about um, players in certain positions or areas of the pitch developing relationships with each other, right? Arteta talked about it after the Lons game uh, with the Rice-Havertz-Odegaard midfield. He said, mm -hmm. you know, the more they play together, the more that chemistry will develop. I mean, the same has got to be true of David Raya with his fullbacks, with his back four, with his centre halves in particular to whom he plays a lot of passes or, or you know, takes the goal kicks, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's just normal, isn't it, that after, what, three months now, he's feeling a bit more comfortable in 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 those relationships. They know him better. He knows them better. Uh, and the communication, I'm sure, is, um, is improving week by week. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny. He's kept a lot of clean sheets, uh, but he didn't keep one yesterday. But I still think yesterday was a really good game for him. Uh, as I said in part one, I think, you know, he made a couple of interventions, saves, came and collected across in stoppage time that took the pressure off, got all the pats on the back for the centre-halves. I 
feel like it was probably a good game for him in sort of building that trust and that relationship between mm. him and the defence and him and the team. I also wonder just more broadly, I think that the fan perception of him has maybe shifted a little bit simply because, you know, Aaron Ramsdale came in against Brentford and didn't have a particularly clean game. And so the clamour kind of shifts a little bit, you yeah. know, it dissipates a little bit. And I think Raya's playing in an environment now that's maybe a little bit more secure, as you suggest. Sure. Um, but I think he's done well. I, you know, when we signed him, I said he was a really good goalkeeper. I think he has made mistakes, but you can see as well, there are really, really strong aspects to his game. His handling coming to get crosses is very, very good. Um, it's just, I think it's a compliment to the team that neither of our goalkeepers this season have been asked to make a string of saves. That's and, true. You know, I think I think if Raya stays in goal for the remainder of the Premier League season, I said Arsenal might win something. I think he's got a very good chance of winning the Golden Glove because this Arsenal team will keep a lot of clean sheets. I mean, it, sure it, it's very interesting to think about that now after what we just said about the team being different and... Like, is, is was Aaron Ramsdale the perfect goalkeeper to get us to this point? You know, yeah, possibly, yeah. I mean, look, the goalkeeper who gets you into the Champions League might not be the same goalkeeper who wins you the Champions yeah, League. Yeah, sure. And uh, listen, uh, I, I'm sure there'll be plenty of people listening saying they're not sure David Raya is that guy either, necessarily. Um, and I think that would be fair, given, you know, some of the errors that he's made, particularly early on. But last few weeks, he's looked more comfortable. I think that his style of play does slightly shift the dynamic of the team and the emphasis of the team, again, mm -hmm. towards control, potentially. Um, so, yeah, I think he's done well. And uh, I, th I think, you know, it's a certainty that Arsenal will make that deal permanent when they find the money. Yeah, I did enjoy Gabriel's reaction to the goal going in as well. He went really... Uh, mad. <laughs> I think they were really pissed off. I think, yeah. yeah, I think Declan Rice was annoyed. I think the back four were annoyed because they know as well, oh, this means 10 minutes of a bit of a slog rather than just wandering around the pitch. And they care about those clean sheets. And their clean uh, sheet bonus. <laughs> <laughs> well, that might be playing part as well. Uh, no, I like it. I like when, you know, um, defenders are, are, are unhappy um, you know, look at the way Gabriel celebrated that late tackle against Lons. You know, that meant mm -hmm. a lot to him. It was 6-0 or whatever it was at the time, you know. Uh, a goal wouldn't have made any difference to the result, but it would have made a difference to his mood. Um, so there yeah. we go. Um, boom, boom, boom. Speaking of uh, Gabriel, Ashley Williams, who's at A underscore Williams PhD, says, uh, has Gabriel ever expressed his love of the physical side of defending? As every commentator insists on telling us, I feel like it detracts from his ability on the ball, which while not Saliba levels, is very underrated. Uh, I mean, to be fair to Gabriel, he hasn't told us a great deal in English at this point. So... I'm not sure if that is on the record anywhere. I think it's evident from the way he plays that he does relish that side of it. Um, you know, he is so physical in his approach. And I think you know, we spoke about Saliba not getting booked. I think Saliba would rather, I don't say this in, in any disrespectful way. Like if he has to go shoulder to shoulder with Erling Haaland, we've seen he can do it. But mm. 
they just have to say of like a defender, like they keep their, what do they say? They keep their shorts clean, essentially. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, like they won't go to ground unnecessarily. Uh, they'd rather just kind of glide through the game. And I think that is Saliba's modus operandi. I think Gabriel, if he went through a game without a crunching challenge and some phys- physical contacts, I genuinely think he'd be disappointed. He wants the muddy shorts. He does, I think. Yeah. yeah. That said, he's very, very good on the ball too. I think Saliba's presence in the team is probably what overshadows him in terms of getting praise and being mm. talked about as one of the best centre-halves in the league. But there are very few better. I think he was an incredible signing. Um, a really good piece of business who has matured into a top defender. And I just think... Mm. I just think back to the start of the season and how ludicrous it was that he wasn't playing. Yeah, uh, And I think we've seen that we're a much better team with him in. For sure. Like you don't play for this team unless you're good on the ball, technically good on the ball. You just can't carry somebody like that, you know? You know, mm-hmm. as we talked about, if you're if you're trying to play around the press, if you're uh, inviting the opposition on, if you've got one guy who's got you know uh, a left foot like he's wearing a Wellington boot, that you know he's just not going to play, regardless of how much he relishes the physical side of of defending. So yeah, and listen, what we've had to learn this season is that there will always be evolution, and that's what Mikel Arteta said. You know, we'll be a different team next season. And, you know, last season, Aaron Ramsdale, Granit Xhaka did great jobs for us, but mm. Arteta saw fit to evolve them. I don't rule out the possibility that he might look at Gabriel and one day think, I need an even better ball-playing yeah. centre-half, or I need a different profile of centre-half entirely. Um, that could happen. But right now, in this team, that partnership between Gabriel and Saliba is absolutely unshakable. I mean, look... We've seen evolution in that position before. Let's not forget the season before last, it was White and Gabriel. Mm. And many of us thought, well, that'll be our centre-half partnership for the next three or four years. That summer got ripped up. Turns out you're playing right back, Ben White. Mm. Anything could happen moving forward. But if you're picking a team this season, you can't look past those two. They dovetail so well. They really do. It's probably the best central defensive partnership in the Premier League. I think so. Yeah. I can't see anything to rival it, really. And, and age-wise as well, it's, um, you know, it's it's great. Yeah. Um, well, we talked about Jesus at left day. Let's do this. It's from Kashanish Kapoor. And they say, Goodly morning, gents. Do you also see a little bit of Santi Cazorla in Trossard? Watching him play the left day reminds me so much of the best of Santi. Two-footed, sharp turns, nimble footwork, someone who can carry the ball from deep. Could he be a long-term fix? I sort of see it because he is quite two-footed. I don't think anywhere near as two-footed as Santi Cazorla, but then I don't think there are too many players. He's also small. Yeah. <laughs> Which that's made me remember. Small and two-footed, yeah. That's the um, that's the similarity. Like, do I think he's going to be the long-term? I think he's someone who can play there, and clearly the manager thinks that too, but I don't think he's going to play there all the time. I'd be very surprised if he made that position his own, if you like. I think he's done fine in there without being particularly brilliant or spectacular. But I think that's just down to technically how good he is. Like you can put him in most places in the in the top end of the pitch, which is where he has to operate for the most part when you're playing, you know, at home against 
Wolves or whatever, where you are going to play most of the game in the opposition half. I think it, it suits him really well. I don't think he's been... I have to be honest, Santi Cazorla is one of the best footballers I've ever watched. Mm. And I think almost as soon as we put him into that midfield role, he was bossing it. You know, it was very early on in us doing that, that he went to the Etihad and was extraordinary. And I don't think Trossard is performing. I know maybe this isn't the suggestion of the question, but I don't think he's performing at that level. And I'm not sure he's got it in him to perform at, at that level in that position. But like I, I would say if I was talking about him in the left eight role against Brentford and Wolves, I'd say he's, he was fine. Mm. And I, I wouldn't go much further than that. But what I would say is this. If he is a centimetre further back at Brentford, then he's got a goal. If he takes either of the two pretty good chances he got in this game, albeit mm. one he made for himself with a magnificent first touch, then he's got a goal. And if what we're looking for from that left eight position is someone who actually breaks into the box, has that end product and that final third contribution, we are like centimetres from looking at Trossard in the left eight and saying, well, you got two goals in two games. So there's something about it that works. I think it's as much about his ability off the ball, his capacity to read the play, arrive in the right places, his kind of goal-scoring instincts as anything else. I think that's what's really interesting about him in that position. Yeah, that's a good point. Good point. Fine margins and all that. Fine margins, but really encouraging in some respects mm -hmm. that he's ended up in those positions. Well, we'll just have to wait and see what Mikel Arteta thinks and at which point he deploys Gabriel Jesus in that position ahead of Trossard after he keeps yeah. missing all the chances. Um, oh, That's at Luton on Tuesday. Yeah, you never know. You never know. Um, let me just finish with this one because I'm curious. I don't know if you've heard anything. Disco Dan uh, on Twitter, who's at Disco Dan 1111 says, Goodly morning, Jen. Sorry to bring this up. That's okay. But it's gone rather quiet on Arteta's FA charge. Do you have any idea what's going on? On or why we're yet to hear the outcome. I'm curious about this because I've been sort of waiting for it to drop all week. Mm. And they've already dealt with the Roberto De Zerbi comments, which came, you know, after Arteta's. Arteta's were after the New Newcastle game, which is now what? A month it's ago? It's now quite a while ago. I mean, we just spoke about what a good run we've been on since then. Was it five games? So, so games? Yeah, it's a month ago. It was the 4th of November. Yeah. And it's now the 3rd of December and they still haven't come to a decision. And Arteta spoke two weeks ago and said that he had given his observations to the FA. Any idea, what, any theories as to why it's taking so long? <laughs> it must have been quite the dossier, perhaps. Um, you know, they, did, they, did that, they did that thing that like big firms do where they say, well, please uh, send us all the information you have on this. And there's just like 17 big trucks full of boxes of documents that they have to go through. Yeah, exactly. The Arteta's magnum opus about uh, his grievances with VAR. Uh, I don't know, Andrew. Like I, I thought we would hear last week, to be honest. Mm. I anticipated Arteta maybe not being on the touchline for the Wolves game. Um I mean, we could hear any day would be my best guess. Uh, and yeah, it's it's odd. It's odd how long it's been left to run on. 
Um, but you know, maybe we'll hear something tomorrow. Maybe we'll hear something Never Monday. Know. Maybe it'll have a touchline ban for the game on yeah. Tuesday. I mean, that's the thing about it is like, when do they announce it? At what, uh, what point does that give Arsenal time to react if there is a potential touchline ban? Like, it strikes me that if it was just going to be a fine, that's something they would have issued by now. Yeah, it doesn't take long yeah. to sort of do that. I, th- I I do think maybe, you know, Arsenal presented them with a lot of information and that may have taken them some time or been some dialogue around that. Um, I was reading the rules about the, the ban. If he is banned, he can still be with the team before the game mm. and at half time. Uh, and but he's it's, it's got purely to sit in the stand. game yeah. scenario. Yeah. He's not allowed direct communication with the guy he uh, appoints as his kind of stand-in. So let's say it's Albert Stubenberg. Yeah, he can't directly communicate with him. But he can just talk to the bloke next to him who can yeah. get... <laughs> it's just so stupid, isn't Basically. it? Basically. Really? Yeah, no. Yeah. So, yeah, I know. I imagine Carlos Cuesta will, will don the AirPods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Day. With his yellow card uh, yesterday as well, which is quite <laughs> funny. Do you know what? He got booked yesterday and... Behind him, uh, I think Aaron Ramsdale was maybe with Gabriel Jesus. Yeah, they were laughing. They had a good old laugh about that. You could see that on the TV footage. All right, Ramsdale just pissing himself laughing in the background. It was funny. (laughs) Taking after Mikel, I guess, Carlos. Well, when he came over, I thought it was for Arteta, and that would have been a touchline ban because I think that would have been his third booking of the season. Wow. I think. I could be wrong there. I'm not sure, but... um, Thankfully, they're just sharing the yellow cards around. You talk about the players not getting booked. We're getting them all on the bench. Yeah, rotational <laughs> protesting. <laughs> all right, look, we better leave it there. Um, make sure that we can get this podcast out to you guys. Hope as ever that you enjoyed the show. Uh, thank you very much indeed, as always, for being with us. We will have more for you during the week. Of course, there is a game against Luton on Tuesday. So we'll, uh, we'll fix up in podcast terms during the week. For now, though, take it easy. Enjoy your Sunday, and we'll catch you on the next one. Uh, bye. What about Declan Rice? Oh, he was good, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.